night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Mike Murphy, best-selling author and author of The Creation Frequency, Tune in the Power of the Universe to Manifest the Life of Your Dreams. Do you look around and wonder why you aren't living the life of your dreams, why you're unfulfilled and unhappy? According to entrepreneur, author, and philanthropist Mike Murphy, it's because you're running on someone else's program. Murphy's insight is based on his own personal experience. At the lowest time in his life, when he was falling apart due to his addiction to alcohol and drugs, he was shown a simple yet powerful method for manifesting his heart's desires and used it to change his own life. Uh, Murphy is founder, Mike Murphy is founder of the Love for Margot Foundation and Mountains of Hope and is the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Love Unfiltered. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Mike. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Well, okay, so you've had quite a life. You've, uh, I guess, the, obviously the topic is how to uh, be creative, uh, Be you went from being what, broke, desperate, divorced, alcoholic? Uh, this is as a young yeah, man. You, you, yeah. yeah. So you <laughs> okay. name it, almost any bad habit a person can have, I had uh, manifested into my life. And I reached a point in uh, 1980 where I was 23 years old and uh, with a two-month-old daughter living with my wife's parents and her five siblings and unemployed and unemployable and just a total complete mess of my life. And one day I look in the mirror and I go, you are a loser. And which I could handle. That was okay. It didn't bother me. But the humiliation came in the fact that knowing that everybody under that roof knew I was a loser. So I literally just picked up my clothes, threw them in a car that didn't even belong to me. Her parents had lent me a car and just took off for a week. Now I've been a runaway my whole life from home. And so I go and party for a week, and then I call her up and say, okay, I'm ready to come home now. And for the first time, someone said, no, sorry, you can't come home. And so that led me into, uh, actually, I went to the steps of a Catholic church. I was raised Catholic, and, but didn't really believe. And I said in my arrogance, okay, God, so, you know, if you're really real, then you can materialize yourself into a body, and you can sit on these steps, and you can talk to me, and I can touch you, and then I can believe in you, and then I can change my life. So a few minutes, God showed up. No, just kidding. And so, but by the grace of God, the next day, I ended up in a 12-step program where I started to find some hope and find some people I could relate to. And, and then, but I still struggled. And a couple of years into that, one of my friends in that program said to me, you know, your life is a complete mess, but I know somebody that might be able to help you. And he introduced me to this man uh, who I call in my book, The Mystery Man, because when I wrote the book 30-something years later, I couldn't remember his name. And... Uh, but his name is Doug Fitzgerald. And he taught me the law of attraction, but he taught it in a way that I've never seen taught before. And I've read every book on the subject since this event in my life. And what he taught me was to use the power of sound to really manifest your intention. So what he said to me is, you come here one hour a week for seven weeks and you'll get everything you truly desire. So each week we would work on a different intention. And the, probably the post, most obvious powerful one is that you know the first thing I said well I want my wife and my daughter back we've been divorced for a few years she's dating other people but it was killing me inside right so we wrote an intention and he said you got to write it if it's already real because there's no difference between imagination and reality because what you imagine eventually becomes your reality 
And so I write this intention. Lisa and I are so happy, uh, happy in this beautiful marriage that we have. Our daughter, Michelle, thrives in this marriage, on and on. And so then I wrote five more, cover all areas of my life that uh, connect balance to my life. And then on week seven, he brought out a boom box. Remember, it's 1982. And he put in a cassette tape with Theta Brainwave music on it. Then he handed me a, a tape recorder and a microphone and a relaxation script, and I already had my six intentions. And he instructed me to record in my own voice the relaxation script and then my six intentions. So I left there seven weeks later. He was charging $50 an hour, $350 poor with a cassette tape. And, but I had a little bit of hope. For some reason, he had still enough belief or hope in me that I thought this just might work, and I was desperate enough to try anything. So every day, Mike, every morning, every night. I just want to interrupt you because you say you were desperate yeah. enough to try anything yeah. or everything. Yeah. But what do you think? Exactly. Connect, because to be able to do that, you connected to the mystery man, um, yeah. Doug Fitzgerald. But like, there had to be some kind of a chemistry between the two of you that so that you could do that. Because you know, usually or often, and as a social worker. People don't use aren't able to do that. You know, they do it for a little bit, and then they, you know, it takes too much time. It takes too much energy. It takes too much money, and they sort of just let go and they don't do it any. They, you know, can't continue. But you did. So I, I just want to know what was it between the? It had to be something between the two of you, not just the program, the law of intentions. You know, yeah. like yeah. Well, I mean, obviously there we, you know, so. There was some sort of wavelength there, some sort of chemistry that I, that I opened my heart to this man, so I trusted him. And, but I was really desperate. I was willing to try almost anything at that point in my life. And, but I trusted him, and it, he made sense. His teachings made sense. You know, the, the, the law of attraction is really ancient teachings. So when we hear the truth, if we get out of our head and into our heart, the truth always resonates in our heart. The mind confuses everything. And so I just trusted him from a, from a spiritual standpoint. And, and he was a very spiritual man as well and been studying this a long time. And he just, the way he was able to communicate it to me, just sitting there at his little kitchen table, just, you know, resonated with me and said, okay, let's go for it. And it was so it fun writing right. these intentions. It felt right. Yeah. It felt, it felt right. right. And then imagine you have this lousy life. I mean, literally just a terrible, lousy life. And now you're getting hope sprung into you're writing a, you're you're creating your life on paper as if it already exists and and so that creates some excitement right it gets your juices flowing it gets your your right brain of your mind open and you're bringing in all this stuff right and, and what he when one of the most powerful things he taught me and then that confirms in the last 35 years is that right now our subconscious mind is taking in over one million bits of information every second and then that supercomputer called our subconscious mind goes through those million bits of information and delivers 40 bits of information to our conscious mind because that's all it can handle. But, it's, but it doesn't judge. So if our self-talk is always negative or if we're always speaking negatively or our actions are self-destructive. It's just going to give us more bits of information to confirm that identity. But when we, get, when we understand this, because we're all manifesting our life right now through our thoughts and our emotions and our imagination, but we're doing it unconsciously, at least I was for most of my life until I taught, he taught me this technique. And then once you get clear what it is you truly want, and believe me, the easiest way is to you know, move from the head to the heart. That's the longest journey we all must take. It's about 18 inches. But when we get out of the confusion of the mind and we get into the heart, and then we really understand that our real brain is in our gut, and we start following our gut instinct and listening to that small inner voice inside of us, then life takes on a whole other direction, and we get crystal clear. And then we have access to the one infinite mind, that one power, the creator of all. 
And then when we can access that, then the plan will materialize for the desire of our heart to be fulfilled. And that's what he taught me. And, and it's really by, I believe that, and the other thing, the power of sound, you know, the story in the Bible is that the creator created this physical reality by sound. He spoke it into existence. And I really believe in Tesla taught, you know, if you want to understand the universe, it's energy, vibration, and frequency. And I think when you understand how this always, the, the illusion is that the solidity of the physical world, it's made up of atoms vibrating, you know, held together by the electromagnetic force, which the Chinese call chi and the Indians call prana and Tesla called plasma. There's the power. That's what we need to tap into. And it's all around us. You know, but we gotta, we got to get out of the, 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 the five senses in the body and realize that's not who we really are. We're just inhabiting this, this physical world. It's not who we are. It's not where we came from. It's not where we go back to. Then but we do tap we have into to, this amazing do we have to be? Do we have to be religious? In order, I mean, what if, is this tied into religion, are you saying, ultimately? Or what if one isn't religious or doesn't believe in God or yeah. doesn't necessarily yeah. believe in a higher power? Then what do you do? It's all energy. So, you know, if you understand how this universe works, it's, it's all electrical energy. And so call that whatever you want. You know, it doesn't really matter. And, but when you understand that it's all electrical energy, so the earth has these electrical uh, ley lines, and the same system is above us, and we see the electricity, well, our body works the same thing. You same way, you know, and, and so when we have a thought, it's just electrical impulses going from neuron to neuron, and, and that's what's happening. It's all an electrical system, and the, and the trick is to really tap into that power and realize that that power is within us, but it's also all around us, and, and lose the attachment to the, to the five senses and to the ego, the lower self, right? It's all about raising our consciousness to a level that... You know, and that's, I view the world the same way. I think the problem with the world is we bought into this concept of materialism and lust and greed, and it's destroying us. But we, we need to raise above that to one of love and service and compassion. And this whole energy in this world would shift to, and this chaos would cease to exist. And, and that's what I think is happening right now. The old way of uh, living is falling apart. It's pretty obvious. Uh, it's con- confusing and crazy and all these wars and all this other stuff. But at the same time, there's a spirit of, of consciousness arising within uh, mankind. And I think it's a really exciting time to be here. Well, tell us about specifically, because, I mean, that's very optimistic, and I do like to hear that. Okay, so we, we are in this, what it seems to me, in a period of chaos and sort of craziness, and um, it, the, the world is changing. So how is it, cha- you know, and you say this change is a good thing and we are, there's going to be, you know, a positive change. So can yeah. you, how, uh, specifically well, how? Well, my, well, yeah, so what my studies tell me that it's a, everything's a cycle and everything's vibrating and moving. So we're on this 24-year cycle and ended in 2012. And so we're going to a, from a masculine energy, you know, for the last 2,400 years, which is, you know, masculine was, you know, powerful and penetration Impressive. and blah, blah, blah. And, and now we're going into a more feminine energy, right? We, we both have these energies both inside of us. It's, it's really blending them together and letting them shine and, and rise up and, 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 and let the world know that. Take our power back. You know, I, I think the problem is we're born into this world perfect, beautiful souls. And we're immediately told, told we're born sinners. And I, I think, well, what were we doing in there for nine months? But the truth is we got separated from the true source, the creator, right? And so it's all about getting back to that connection, that divine energy, and, and getting reconnected to that. And then the suffering will dissipate and the, and the clarity will be able to open that third eye and we'll, we'll have our intuition we'll be able to see again. 
You know, I see what I see in the world today. Everybody's gut is ruined by this glyphosate and these GMOs, and and then our pineal gland is clouded over with the stuff in the water and the stuff in the air. And so we we you know, if we were birds with that instinct to fly south in the winter, we we we've lost it. We've been disconnected, and we need to reengage with the energy of the Creator and tap into that, and then miracles become possible. Okay. Talk about it in terms of your own life right now, because now you have a lot of hindsight. This, you know, all of this, yeah. this journey began 35 years ago, and yeah. so a lot has happened to you along the way. Uh, you yeah. know, father, grandfather, um, and the death of your wife. Um, yeah. So you've been yeah. through a lot of personal ups, uh, you know, highs and lows. Um, yeah. Connect this to yeah. Connect this to something that we can sort of take a look at in terms of you as an individual and your own family. Yeah, so so I created this. The Mystery Man taught me how to create this beautiful life. I became a multimillionaire. I got my family back. I married my wife for a second time, happiest moment of my life. Had three more beautiful children, making millions of dollars a year. I'm like every other guy, every other capitalistic American, you know. And, and then, uh, unbeknownst to me, this, this and I, but I had one intention that I never fully completed and that was contribution giving back and so imagine I have this perfect life and then this woman walks into my office to sell me advertising and um, for seven months we worked together and she's falling in love with me I don't know and I'm falling in love with her she doesn't know and one day we compare notes and that leads to this relationship which you know literally uh, you know was a very difficult time to to leave my family and to be with this woman and so I go through all that drama, and then nine months into that, I find a golf ball-sized tumor in her breast, stage three breast cancer. And so for the next nine years of our life, was, you know, was dealing with this cancer. And in December of 2010, the doctor said, you know, Margo, unfortunately, it spread to the lining of your brain. If you do nothing, you have six weeks to live, and if you treat it, you have six months to live. And so I was able to watch this amazing young woman, 15 years younger, go through this battle and, and, and come out. We go through horrendous medical procedures and pain and suffering on the physical level, but just to continue to blossom into love and into peace and into joy. And when she took that last breath, it was just like, almost like, uh, it, was, it was just in- insane to see how beautiful she was and how much at peace she was and, and, and let go. And so, but it completely devastated me to a fact that, you know, I, I was just couldn't even function. And, and it was in that devastation that I believe that, that my creator was able to come in and slice open my heart and remove any arrogance, self-centeredness, and, and replace it with love. And so as that was the June of 2011. That's pretty much how I've been living my life is to love and service to others. So immediately after my wife passed, another 38-year-old woman, same age as my wife, came to me. And she'd moved to the Bay Area from Montana because she had stage four breast cancer and she had three children and she wanted better treatment. So I tried helping her. And in that process, I realized this is a real injustice for people with no money in the medical system. It's a completely different experience. And so finally, you know, after a couple months working with her, the doctor says, you know, Amanda, the best protocol to extend your life are these three chemotherapies simultaneously. Unfortunately, your insurance will only pay for one. So that's all I can give you. And that just really actually just blew my mind wide open. And I said, here's my credit card, give her whatever she wants. Unbeknownst to me, that was the seed of the Love for Margot Foundation that became an official entity in January 2012. And I've worked with hundreds of women below the poverty line while they battle cancer, providing mostly financial grants because, you know, they lose their job, their expenses go up, and they're financially screwed. They have no safety net. So I've been doing that for a long time, and now I realize that, you know, I need to 
find them help because this money's not solving the problem. So I bought this farm in Medellin, Colombia, and we're building a healing retreat center where people can go and, and, and any kind of illness or just increase their energy or vibration to really detox the physical body, but also detox any emotional wounds and detox any psychological situations that are repeating themselves and to get crystal clear and get congruent mind, body, and heart and then have a spiritual awakening. And so, so Mike, that's why what did we're you choose Medellin? I'm curious, why did you choose yeah. Medellin? Well, I, I, I wanted a plan B outside the U.S., and so I started looking all over the world, and I chose South America. And then I went to four countries, eight different cities, and Medellin was the third one. I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the, the soil, the, the air, the, the mountains, the energy. It's really a magical place, and it's called the City of Eternal Spring, so the weather's always perfect. And, you know, cost, it's, you can do business for a lot less down there, so it's just an easier way to do business, and it's pretty convenient for western people to get there so that's why i chose it i'm asking you that because i have been there i lived in south america for six months and i've been to medellin and lived in fusagasuga which is a little bit north uh, you know up the mountain yeah. uh yep. yeah so and want to and and would like to go back so i really well, would yeah and uh for so I, have a, I have a 12 i have a 12 bedroom farm and a four bedroom apartment one in the city and one by the airport so you're always welcome well, thank you. Great. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and, and Ferdinand Batero, Batero, the artist, is has that mm-hmm. the big museum is there. That's an which is I think, supposed yeah. to be great. But anyway, so you do all. It's very interesting. I, you know, all of these, uh, as you say, charitable work is now your mission to give back. Yeah. And this is obviously yeah. one of them. Um, so what uh, South America? But where else uh, here in the United States? So the, those are the two. Uh, yeah. So, Isn't there so another? In Oak- yeah. Yeah, and in the Bay Area in Oakland, we have the Love for Margot Foundation, yeah. and that's where we work with the women with cancer by providing emergency financial grants, but we're also revamping our website to make it a source of anybody that ever hears the word, you know, you have, unfortunately, you have cancer. There'll be a wealth of information on, on resources and, and actual interviews of people that have heard those words and what they did, what share their experience, strength, and hope with people. In addition and to that, we're that's just for opening. women. That's what you said, that you yes, have for cancer. Women. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what we're doing now is we're building a community center, and it's for youth uh, out of the juvenile system or out of foster care, where we'll be teaching them the creation frequency so they can use these principles to take their power back, quit being victims, learn how to go get jobs, be responsible citizens. So that's our new mission in Oakland is to really get into the youth and really try to raise the consciousness there and get these kids going in the right direction. Well, how do you think you, uh, taking it back to you again, because you said you were 23, two-month-old baby, just married, living with your parents, her parents, actually. So Mm -hmm. as a youth, what went wrong, I mean, in terms of your own life so that you were uh, in the position that you were in, you know? uh, So so I have have about a 10-month-old baby picture where I'm sitting on the couch with a pair of diapers with a a quarter-foot small liquor and a between my legs and a cigarette hanging out of my mouth. So, so, you know, in those days, you know, people partied a lot, and my father was a victim of both parents being alcoholics, and he became an alcoholic himself. And so we lived in a bit of a chaotic situation. My, my mother was a, like a saint, and my father was, who traveled a lot, but was, it was just a very difficult situation at home. And at, at, at 14, I just knew something was wrong. 
And so I, I just said, I got to go. And I got on a bus in downtown Cincinnati at the age of 14. And, and I got off 100 miles south in Lexington, Kentucky with $4 in my pocket and started hitchhiking. And so, you know, I, and so that started a lifestyle of being arrested, of running away all the time, being kicked out of schools, and, and just a really life of a loser. And you get into habits and patterns, and they're hard to break out of. And really, it took a lot of pain and suffering to to get me to the mystery man and then to trust in someone and to start creating a better life. So, you know, it was really taking a messy life and by the grace of God, meeting this man and learning this technique and, and then building my life back. What about siblings? Do you have siblings and did they take a, a different uh, core? Did they go in a different direction or it was? Yeah, it's, it's funny. My, my, two, two of my sisters have been living with me for the last couple of weeks and uh, just by circumstances. And so I've been hearing a lot of stuff about my childhood, and I was the oldest. So, so up until age 14, I was kind of their protector, tried to help them out, and then I disappear. So, you know, and uh, so I'm hearing all these stories now because I'm the oldest. So, uh, they, you know, a couple of them became alcoholics. They're now doing excellent in recovery. Um, and two of them are just normal people. So you never know, right? But I think we're all greatly affected by this, but the, the ones that did the work are, are really doing well. How do you deal with the, well, your parents in terms of being able to separate from them, not feeling or feeling resentful, angry? Because um, those are all feelings I think one has to deal with if you're able to, to turn your life around in the way you did or uh, be able to, well, accept help um so yeah. talk to us about yeah well that. my mother might like this, my mother was a saint and she led just a beautiful life and was such a great and she got sucked into that lifestyle don't get me wrong but 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 she was more of a victim as, as, as that we were but unfortunately she passed away in 2007 but we were very close our entire life and especially i think because i was the oldest and my dad traveled every other week so i was kind of her go-to and then my dad god bless him i mean he lost my mother 10 years ago he's been through three different battles of cancer in the last few years and he's he's become a completely different perps person you know he he lost his dad when he was 11 from cirrhosis of the liver drinking himself to death his mother almost burnt herself uh, to death, uh, passing out with a lit cigarette, died a week later of lung damage. And so he, he, he had this emptiness. He became a ward of the state of California. So, so when you put it in that perspective, it's really about forgiveness. But, but you bring up a very important point because, you know, I work with people that have cancer, right? And I think there's an emotional component. I know there was from my wife that leads to this energy blockage, which creates this mutation of the cells and, and creates these tumors. And so that's what I think we really have to address when we go to heal people, not only the physical uh, the cells, and, and we really need to bring good nutrition and good water into the picture. But we also got to heal any wounds emotionally and any psychic uh, trauma. And, and really, toxicity is toxicity, and I don't care if it's mental, emotional, or physical. We need to remove it for the body to really uh, increase that vibrational frequency and strengthen that immune system. Yeah, so the toxicity can come from, it can be external, environmental. We live in a toxic soup. I think you talked about that in the yep. beginning of the interview. Yep. Well, the food yep. we eat, the air we breathe, all of that, but then it's also internal and our stress and all mm-hmm. the emotional stuff that we have to deal with. You know, it's interesting. You talk about your wife and she died in, in peace, I guess. And and, yep. and I, I've witnessed, unfortunately, several people dying in hospice uh, over the past few years. And they don't really seem to die in peace. They go through all of these horrific uh, mm-hmm. chemotherapy, radiation, um, and aren't really uh, peaceful at the end, but quite the opposite. 
so, yeah, yeah that's, uh, and I'm not sure what that's a result of necessarily. One case, I th- uh, this uh, friend of mine, I think she really didn't want to leave this world. She was sort of a- still angry that she was dying mm-hmm. because things were yeah. good. So, you know, there are lots yeah. of different, you know, I don't know, you can comment on that, but I'm not so sure that everybody yeah. has, you know, dies the same way you're talking about your uh, the experience that your wife had. Well, for sure. You're absolutely correct. My mother's wife or my, um, my mother's death was completely different. It's a belief system. It's what we believe about that process. So for me, for example, I'm excited to take that last breath and I'm excited to transcend out of the physical into the non-physical. So for me, it's going to be a very easy, peaceful event. And, you know, the beautiful thing is we met someone the last week of my life's life that really taught us all this. And so she said goodbye to everybody. And after she passed away, everybody came and said goodbye to her. And so we looked at it as a, like an, an event for deep spiritual work, deep spiritual healing. And, and really, as a, it's going to happen to all of us, right? And so we, we, we just did it in a mature way. And, and her and I, together, every night, we listened to very spiritual uh, books on the topic and, and really prepared ourselves. Now, I always thought I was preparing myself, but I'm, I've come to understand that you can never be prepared. You, you always think you have one more day until you don't, and that's where devastation hits and grief hits and and so that's a difficult process to go through as well i i, I say now that you know dying is the easy part it's being left behind is the difficult part yeah well i don't want to go i have to i have to work on it i'm definitely not where you are <laughs> um, <laughs> so i need a lot of work uh, and reading, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> reading your book is one of them so we got we have a couple of minutes left the creation frequency okay. Yeah, I want to mention the book again, Tune in the Power of the Universe to Manifest the Life of Your Dreams. And the book is by Mike Murphy. And Mike, because uh, you mentioned a website, or you mentioned a couple websites we can go to yeah. for, yeah. So let's, why don't you okay, so, uh, mention yeah, those yeah, again? Thank, yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. So, so the other thing we did in, along with the book is I created a very powerful online course. It, I spent over $100,000 creating it. We filmed it in Medellin, Colombia at our farm, and it's really powerful. And it, it really goes deep into the science behind what, what I'm talking about here and why it works and why it will work for everybody that listens. So, so what I've done is I've prepared a special offer for your listeners that if they just go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and buy the book, The Creation Frequency, it's twelve dollars and eighty six cents. It's really a lot more valuable than that. I paid three hundred and fifty dollars in nineteen eighty two for this information. And so, um, buy the book for twelve eighty six. Send us proof of purchase. The Amazon will send you a receipt. Just email it to specialoffer at thecreationfrequency dot com. That's specialoffer at thecreationfrequency dot com, and we will give you access to the course, which currently our special introductory price we're retailing for one hundred and ninety seven dollars. We'll give that to your listeners for free. And then we also spent $30,000 to develop an app. It's a tape recorder, but it has the high-frequency music embedded into it, and that's free on iTunes and Google Play. So for $12.86, they get the course, which will really take them deeper. And in that course, they'll write their intentions. They'll get a blueprint for their life. It's a very powerful tool. And then they understand it. They read the book. They download the app. They listen. They write their intentions. They listen every morning, every night. And I promise them one thing. Their life will get better. It might not get easier because life is hard, but it'll get better. But it will get better. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for obviously being on the show today. And uh, we're all, uh, get the book, everyone. I recommend the book and uh, we'll all be working on it. 
I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, joining me this morning is Tim Haig, author of Perseverance, the seven skills you need to survive, thrive, and accomplish more than you've ever imagined. After starting a family and flourishing in his career, Tim Haig was struck by misfortune. The irritating tremor in his foot turned out to be early onset Parkinson's disease. He was only 46 years old. But what seemed to be an end became a new beginning. Just three years later, he won the inaugural The Amazing Race Canada with his son, Tim Jr., uh, orphaned by a teen mother, his remarkable life story shows that perseverance is not just a matter of willpower. It's a skill that can be learned and honed. He, uh, Tim is a public speaker and educator and has dedicated his life to educating and helping others through his charitable work. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Tim. Thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you certainly have had a series of ups and downs and have been um, <laughs> yes, and uh, persevered. So uh, we need yeah. to know how you were. I guess for our listeners, how you were able to do that. I mean, uh, you know, you here you were born as by you were a uh, had a teen mother. You were adopted by mm-hmm. a family that had nine children. Mm-hmm. I guess. And mm-hmm. uh, so let's go from there. So what happened? How did you do all this and uh, inspire us? 
Well, the, the good news is, Catherine, I didn't do it all. Uh, at least I didn't have to do it by myself. A lot of my lessons have come learned by my parents, um, all three of them. Um, you go back to 1964, you will find a little baby born uh, as a half-breed, as I say, in a very black-and-white world. 1964 in Iowa, she was 20, found herself pregnant by an older, married black man. And as you can imagine, in 1964, Iowa, that wasn't going to go down real well. So she was uh, shipped off to Texas. Very few people in her family knew what was going on. Very few knew that she had been pregnant. Very few knew that she had given birth to me. Um, she went off to Texas, had her baby, gave it up for adoption. Um, if you can imagine being in her shoes at that time, you can imagine the challenge it would have presented to her, the difficulty, the loneliness, the despair maybe. Yeah. And the, and the shame. perseverance. I think at that, that particular time, shame. shame. Yeah. Absolutely. Huge amounts of shame. Um, a lot of, yeah. And then um, having the courage and the strength to persevere through that on her own and do what she felt was the absolute right thing to do in giving her baby a shot at life. And I have been so grateful to her for that. And so I felt all along that someday I'd like to tell a bit of that story. And uh, I, I've learned from her story. As I've grown, I'm 53 now, obviously, grown man. But I've taken many of the lessons that I've learned in life from her, uh, from what she accomplished. You know, look at my parents, a white couple from Kansas City, not only adopted me, but went on to adopt five more biracial kids throughout the 60s and 70s after having three of their own children. And you can only imagine Dad was a part-time pastor, part-time janitor. Mom cared for elderly folks at the time, in addition to caring for a brood of kids. You can imagine the perseverance that it took on their part to give us all a shot at life. I mean, they, we were never rich, but we always had a roof over our head, clothes on our back, food in our bellies. We were given a good education. I was given the opportunity to grow up, go to post-secondary school, become a nurse great earning potential as a nurse. Met a wonderful gal from Canada, been married for 32 years, four kids, wonderful daughter-in-law, great granddaughter, God's greatest gift to mankind as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and um, all because three people did what very few people at the time were willing to do, which was to step in and give a shot to a bunch of biracial babies. I mean, culture at the time said this was wrong. Uh, the church that my parents went to actually told them that they were out of step to be adopting these black babies. And um, it was a huge, huge thing that they did for us. Yeah, I think it's difficult for people sometimes now to understand that, to really understand mm -hmm. the context of all of that, as you're saying, particularly, I mean, you're talking Kansas City. You're not talking San Francisco or New York or Chicago. But, That's right. You know. It's very different sure, at that time. in the Midwest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were lots of people, lots of people who, who s loudly told my parents how wrong they were to be doing this. And I, I appreciate today that we don't understand that context, that we have moved in many ways so far beyond that. But it was a big deal at the time. And it was meaningful. And so I've taken a lot of life lessons from that and how 
Well, I, I honestly feel that many of those lessons were taught me in preparation for the day that I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Let's talk, first, before we talk about that, and you were 46 years old, so you were very young, mm-hmm. um, your teen mom, where is she? Have you mm-hmm. reconnected with her? Um, or She's in the other room. Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously she's no longer a teen mom, but I reconnected with her in my 20s. Um, I had never had any intent of looking her up. I had a wonderful set of parents. They they provided for me in every way. And I, I didn't have a need to go looking for a mommy. I didn't need money. I didn't need anything. But my firstborn at nine months went cross-eyed. And I was a new nurse at the time, and that absolutely lit a fire in me to know what my genetic history was. And it was a, I know it sounds simplistic, and it certainly was irrational on many levels, but I had to know. I had to know why this was happening to my kid. And that set me on a very short journey of finding her. And it took me four phone calls, and I, I had found her. And I've known her for almost 30 years now, and we've had a great relationship. She is grandma to my kids, just like mom and dad are. And it's been so a wonderful me, experience. I just want to, because I know this is a story that, that um, I've heard many times with, you know, different outcomes, uh, you know, trying to, mm-hmm. people wanting to connect with their biological uh, parent. And sometimes mm-hmm. the biological parent really doesn't want to connect because they've gone on a different life. They don't want to, for a lot of different reasons. So yeah. that wasn't obviously the case with the two of you. She was No, I was very, very lucky. Since she's been there for 30 years, very, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she has been. Uh, I was very fortunate. But I often tell folks, be careful. Don't be naive. We were put up for adoption for some reason. And it's, no matter what that reason was, it's a hard reason. Not necessarily a bad reason, but it's a hard reason. And I've got five siblings who were adopted as well. And I can tell you six different stories. Some of us are very happy with what we found. Others are very sad. Others are angry. Others chose to forego the search altogether. But I I caution folks who've been adopted If you need something, if life is bad now, don't think that this is going to change it because it might make it worse. It might make it better, but we have to be honest and realize that it might make it worse. We are not guaranteed that our dreams will come true just because we chase them. I think that's, yeah, that's good advice. And uh, I think that needs to be said. Now, so you have obviously that was you had a relationship with all, you know, all your parents. All of the uh, supports in your life uh, led you to where you are now, and to be able to do what you've done. But here you are; you things go well, and then all of a sudden you get zapped again with a diagnosis um, that is terrifying: Parkinson's disease. Obviously, at age forty-six, uh, what happened? I mean, this comes out of left field. Nowhere, I assume. Oh, it, I mean, you, yeah, yeah. zapped is a good word, and not a left field is a great illustration of it because I was not expecting this. Um, even though my adopted father did die with Parkinson's, 
I certainly never, ever imagined that I would be faced with a diagnosis. And it literally came to me one day, Saturday, I was sitting in the kitchen reading Saturday morning paper, and literally, brand new thought drops into my head. My left big toe is twitching. And I look down, and lo and behold, my left big toe, it's just got a rhythmic twitch to it. Now, if I tried, I could stop it. And as soon as I ignored it, it started up again. And I knew right then that this was bad news. I said to myself, this is either Parkinson's or MS. I have a half-sister with MS. Dad died with Parkinson's. I had nursed many people with Parkinson's. I knew you don't, you don't wake up any given morning or, or twitch you for no good reason. And, uh, yeah, that next February, that was August. The next February of 2011, I was diagnosed with young-onset Parkinson's disease at the age of 46. And I was not happy. (laughs) (laughs) So then, what goes through your mind? I mean, do you have this feeling, what, you know, most many people do, like, why me? Why did I get this? And thinking about all you've Mm -hmm. been through and all you've accomplished, and now, use the word zap again, here it comes. Now, what Mm -hmm. do I, like, and and not be angry or resentful? Oh, you are angry. I was angry. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was ticked. I was scared, and it was it was a moment of saying, "Why me?" Like I've been a good dad, I've been a good husband, I've done what I should in my community. You know, you try to give back. I've been a good nurse. Why would this happen to me? And I unfortunately went on. You know, you get down and depressed, and I stopped running, stopped cycling, stopped doing the things I knew I should do to look after myself, and sat on the couch for about a year. And finally, I said to myself, you know what? This isn't how you want to live your life. Like, you're really going to sit here and what, wither away and do nothing? I said, you got to get up and get going again. So I did. Ran uh, triathlon that next year, my probably first and only triathlon, but a short distance one. And I, I basically had to come to terms with the disease. I, I thought to myself, you know what? I can try to do what I call the man thing and just ignore it. But Parkinson's will not be ignored. It is chronic, it is progressive, it is worse seven years on now than it was at the beginning. It does get worse. It will not be ignored. I thought I could treat it as a curse. I could be mad at God. I could harbor that bitterness and just simply walk through life angry. But then when you consider all the rest of my story, when you consider all that I've been given, how in the world is that reasonable? Because even with Parkinson's, I have been blessed beyond measure compared to most people in this world. And I realized that my world, my life has been extremely unfair because I have been given so much, even with Parkinson's. The good far outweighs the bad. So I decided, and it it had to be, yeah, I had to decide, make make a physical decision to treat this disease as a blessing rather than a curse. And I chose to walk through life with it as my new best friend, whom I hate, (laughs) but nonetheless as a blessing rather than a curse. So this was going to be an opportunity, it sounds like. Or you redefined it, got off the couch and redefined what you were going to do and what the disease was going to, or how you were going to let the disease affect you. This was your opportunity to do something else. Yeah. And we all make that decision. No matter what we face, we all make a decision on how we're going to deal with it. And most of the time, though, we do it 
passively. We don't think about the fact that I'm choosing to be angry, that I'm going to sit in my anger and my bitterness. Um, we often just do. But I came to a point where I said, I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm 46 years old. I'm too young for this. I've got lots of life to live. There are many good things that I can be thankful for, and I need to move on. And so I, I try to move on. And trust me when I say that these words are far, far easier to say than it is to live out. Yeah. I have well, my really bad days. In your book, I mean, that they're just easy for us to sort of hone into, but you talk about the nature of luck, find community, those kinds of things that ultimately helped you to accomplish what you did, accept limits, see striving, live your best, do all of those things. But how did you get to the point where you were able to, I mean, I thought the amazing race in Canada, I mean, not only did you get off the couch, but you did a 180, it seems to me, um, not something that all of us could do. Well, I'm a, I've always been a pretty type A personality. I'll not deny that. I'm very competitive. I've always been competitive. And I'm competitive with myself. Uh, when I, I used to run lots, and my number one competitor was me. I had to outrun my own times. And so that translates into Parkinson's. Parkinson's cannot have me. It just can't. And I, I'm just not going it, to... It's going to take parts of me there's nothing I can do about that but it can't have all of me and what it does get it's going to have to rip out of my hands because I'm just not going to lay down and roll over with it but I've also learned through life that perseverance all of these things can be learned Um, there are things in life I've had to learn in dealing with this I've had to learn to be more patient with myself I've never been patient never and there, I'm slow now in many, many ways. I am way slower than I used to be. And I've had to learn to give myself a break because I'm, I'm probably the hardest guy on me. I push, 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 push. And that's where the cease driving comes from. Learning to work hard, set goals, but also learning to take a break sometimes and, and give myself grace to know that there are some things I simply can't do. Or at least not so you really have to be did. honest with yourself. Really, I you mean, have to be very honest. Yeah. And yeah. I guess be aware, as you say. I think that's a really important point of being, whatever, the, it doesn't necessarily have to be Parkinson's. If we're talking about medical stuff, any kind of chronic illness, disease, mm-hmm. uh, to, to be honest with yourself about what you can and cannot do and then hone in on the things that you can do and, and not focus mm-hmm. on what you can't do. I think that's your message. Um, but one of the things you say, and talk a little bit more about this, is you have to finding community is really important. I think that's key to any um, it's any kind of problem that we encounter. You know, finding that community, people who can help you, and not feeling like you're you're weak or you have to man up or whatever the expressions are. So finding community, how is okay. that for you? Yeah. Well, you you know that old picture of the lone cowboy, the lone well, ranger yeah. going it yeah. alone. That, that's a very strong American theme, right? And I never got it. I never understood it. Because I'm like, first of all, I get scared to death out there by myself. <laughs> Second of all, it looks lonely to me. And third, sometimes you just get yourself into a heck of a spot where you need help. I never wanted to be a Lone Ranger. 
never wanted to be that lone cowboy riding off into the sunset. That just never made any sense to me. And I've learned in life, and, that for, and for me, the only way I have survived is by community. My wife has been a tremendous partner in life. Most of the good things that I've accomplished in life have been her idea, including the amazing race. It was all her idea that we apply for it. Then it was her idea that she stepped back and she insisted that my son and I apply because she said, they're going to love your Parkinson's and I guarantee you you're going to get an interview. I would not be where I'm at today if it weren't for her, my son who helped get me through the amazing race, the Parkinson's support group that I have here in my hometown, and all the variety of people that support everything that I do. And so, so your no wife matter is what your uh, marketer. She's like your promoter, your marketer. And then uh, it, it sounds to me, and you two really have a great balance there. And We do. Yeah. We do. She's more of our business manager. I do a lot of the marketing, but, um, but she does. She, she keeps the back end running that allows me to do the thing on stage, if you will. And I find that this message just relates to so many settings, whether it's community or persevering, see striving, whether it's business, whether it's that entrepreneur who's stuck all alone, realizing he's let go of his community of maybe his spouse and partner, his kids, whatever else, and life has gotten out of balance and needs to go back and find that balance again. Or the business owner who's just simply, the, the team is stuck, and they, they've come to their wits end, and they don't know what to do next. But this message, again, plays well there. It's well understood in so many settings. So you talk, we kind of glossed over this one, but the nature of luck, that that mm-hmm. also has some kind of an impact on the way one lives their lives. How does luck come into the picture? I, I love this particular skill because I love the analogy of, you know, the musician, say. All of a sudden, the musician is hot. They're selling albums like crazy. And somebody on television says, this guy is really lucky. He has suddenly hit, hit the jackpot, right? He's won the lottery. Look at how lucky he is to be where he's at. And then you go back and you do the research and you find out that he's been working at his, his art for the last 25 years. And the reason that artist was lucky is because they worked their butt off for 25 years, continued to improve themselves, continued in their journey, stayed on their path, regardless of what it looked like. And one day, wouldn't you know, lo and behold, they got lucky. So I'm using the term a little tongue-in-cheek. It's not really luck. It's the fact that they stayed in their game. They stayed at what they were passionate about, worked hard at it, and saw success. Yeah, and such success an important point. Different. I'm thinking of the, the the Beatles are a perfect example of that. You know, mm-hmm. all the when they became when they were I think it was on the Ed Sullivan show when they became that well known, and everyone said, mm-hmm. "God, how lucky they were to 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 be able to do that to be on the show." But it, it, they were an example of what you're talking about. They had been playing in crummy clubs all over the UK for years, you know, for years and years, and then finally they had this opportunity. So luck is just how you described it, sort of tongue-in-cheek. And, and there are many more yeah. examples of that, yeah. 
Well, Parkinson's is a good example of it. I tell par- people with Parkinson's all the time, how do you know where the next symptom control is going to come from? How do you know when the cure might be found? We know today, we know for fact, research has proven to us that if we are physically active, we stay active and exercise, that it will make our symptoms better. It won't make the disease go away. It's not going to stop the disease, but it will make us better from a symptom control standpoint. Why would you not stay in that lane so that when the day that a cure does hit, you are in in as good a position to make use of it as you possibly could be? And then that goes right back into business, into life. Why would you not stay in your lane, stay focused on that goal, even when it looks terrible, knowing that there's very likely a day that will come that you will, quote-unquote, get lucky. Well, you have I to be ready for it, as you're saying. You want to be in the best position possible, physically, mentally, in all other ways. When the time comes and something can be done, you're ready. You're prepared. I mean, if, you, yeah, right. if, if you're sitting on the couch, right. so, you won't be prepared, or if you... Continued if one continues to do that. That's right. And then um, it comes to accepting limits, one of the other skills. How are you prepared if you haven't taken care of your community, if you haven't found community? How can you be prepared if you're not willing to cut back sometimes? And this is kind of my personal thing, I guess, today. The guy who works 16 hours a day, 14 hours a day, and then wonders why he spends all of his weekends, his time alone, because he's neglected all the rest of his community. If life isn't balanced, it will come crumbling down at some point. And you'll find that my skills reach for balance in life. Life cannot be only about me exercising day in and day out. I need the intellectual side, I need the emotional side, I need the social and spiritual support. I need the occupational support. I need all the pieces that go into making me a healthy human being to truly be successful. What's and a, that's it's what... A, it's a great story. You have a great... It's an ongoing story. And one that mm-hmm. we only have a minute left, minute and a half, so um, that people should know about. Read your book, Perseverance. The seven skills you need to survive and thrive and accomplish more than you ever imagined. It's really uh, been a pleasure having you on the show. Just give me the website quickly because we do have 30 seconds left so people can go to a website uh, and reference your Tim book Senior. and or you. Yeah. TimSenior.ca. That's Tim, T-I-M-S-R dot C-A. And you can find the book anywhere good books are sold. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show. It is my I'm, pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.